0: Welcome back my dear and loyal listener. I'm Chris Young under the guise of the mental diabetic and today I'll be telling you about how James O'Brien cured my type 2 diabetes. OK, first things first. I've lost some weight in the past 6 months and I'd like to share with you some some of my ideas as to what I could, perhaps should be doing with my newfound stomach apron those of you unf- unfamiliar with the stomach apron is a rather large expanse of skin that's completely unaware that the rest of your body's lost weight leaving the uh, wearer with a bit of a fleshy overhang now I'm at my happiest when I'm in a kilt after the incidents where I was caught with an updraft when I was walking down a cliff path when two women were walking up the same path where I mumbled something about it being curled and that I decided that being a true Scotsman might not be the best option, and I've worn undercrackers ever since. So, back to the stomach apron. I'm planning to cut two holes in my fleshy protuberance, slide my legs through, and behold, I'll never have to buy underwear again. I put the suggestion to my friend Keith, who thought that sounded a bit weird, even for me, suggesting that I could fashion it into some kind of sporran. I guess with a, a bit of jazzling, I could produce something rather um, special. And we're back in the room. In this podcast, amongst other things, I talk about some challenging themes, including diet, weight loss, suicidal ideation and self-harm. If that's not what you need right now, then now might be a good time to turn me off but please come back in the future where i'll continue to interview all kinds of interesting folk with the occasional solar flight where i'll be having a rant about the mental health system in the uk today see you soon ah you're still here thanks for staying so back to the grandiose back to the grandiose claim that the popular lbc uh show host james o'brien cured my diabetes to be fair although i'm a huge fan I've never met the man, although I did speak to him once when I phoned in to his show to give my opinion on a mental health something or other. So it is a bit of a stretch to say. At the end of of July last year, I had two blood tests and a urine test that concluded I was diabetic as fuck. You can hear about that in earlier podcasts. But to summarise, I met up with Karen, a fabulously enthusiastic diabetes nurse read the book Life Without Diabetes by Professor Roy Taylor and followed their guidance to lose 15 kilograms as quickly as possible since research suggests that will put the bastard condition into remission. I can be rather dogmatic at times and so I went on an 800 calorie a day diet, again recommended by Professor Taylor, which consisted of homemade vegan dal with cauliflower rice. It's not as shit as it sounds, twice a day, with a banana thrown in. Combined with this, and thanks to the fabulous counseling I received from the people at Safeline in Warwick, they'll have a podcast all of their own in the future, which enabled me to leave the house unassisted for the first time in two years. Agoraphobia can be crippling. I gradually increased my walks from 200 to 400 metres up to eight miles a day. I'm astonishingly lucky. Not only did I have great counselling, I have access to a beautiful four-mile route from my house. Countryside noises are all well and good, but for me, well, they can become a bit samey after time. So this is where Mr James O'Brien came in. I plugged myself into his series of excellent Full Disclosure podcasts to aid me on my way round. Okay, I'll confess, I did feel the urge to punch Tony Blair in the face after listening to that particular episode. But James talks with a whole bunch of folk and I defy you not to fall slightly in love with at least some of them. Long story short, by Christmas, I'd lost slightly over 15 kilograms and stomach apron aside, I felt fucking great. All thanks to, well, a rather harsh diet and walking a lot, but it enabled by my chatty friend. Looking forward to my diabetes review, I submitted some more urine and blood for them to examine and mentally prepared myself for the ticker tape parade as I was declared patient of the year. And then the wheels came off. Since coming off a massive dose of antipsychotic medication, cotypine, my sleeping pattern couldn't be what you'd call chronocentric. I sleep twice a day for a maximum of seven hours. I struggle to sleep longer than four hours but that's great because it means I can go out early in the morning to bore my followers senseless with endless pictures of sunrises. I was rambling about the place at early o'clock on Christmas day halfway through my second four-mile lap when I was struck with some rather remarkable pain in my lower right calf. I may not be a racing snake but I have a long history of sporty shit and I knew I hadn't pulled a muscle. I hobbled home and did what most folk would do in similar circumstances. I consulted Dr Google. You can do it too. Just type diabetes and lower leg pain into your search engine and I guarantee you'll shit yourself. As a social worker back in the day I'd worked with many folk who were at the tail end of their diabetes, who'd had limbs lopped off and suffered strokes and heart attacks. That experience really motivated me. Time passed and nothing changed. The severe pain remained as I hobbled about the place becoming more and more grumpy. Also the realization that my harsh but fair exercise and diet regime may not have had the desired effect with my diabetes. It didn't take me long to think about all the other symptoms I'd been ignoring over the past few months. The pinky of my right hand would very occasionally go completely numb for anything up to a day. I developed what I call Harry Potter fingers. Imagine, if you will, that ting- tingling sensation our young wizard would get in his fingers just before he cast a spell. I have a constant low level pins and needles in my fingers and my toes and constant tinnitus. I felt defeated. I could see the end in sight. After 30 years of having a mental malady, that end was a lot closer than I wanted it to be. I felt angry. I was taking taken back to my mum dying of several cervical cancer when I was exactly 12 years and one month old, how my wonderful dad suffered a catastrophic, emotional collapse as he self-medicated with Bell's Whiskey, as our lovely home turned into something that wouldn't have looked out of place in some Channel 4 or 5 voyeuristic poverty porn documentary where cat shit and carcasses of small animals were strewn around our living room, where I felt like an outcast as I became one of the smelly kids at school who couldn't afford toothpaste, who passed out in woodwork because I hadn't eaten for more than a week. I was taken back to the opportunistic cunt who groomed and sexually abused me in my vulnerable state, completing my journey into fucking insanity. I thought about how my wonderful plan to become an author was diverted into social work because nobody was there for me growing up. I wanted to be there for others. A seventeen-year career that was destined to crash around my ears as the endless psych meds and lack of adequate mental health services were no longer able to prop me up. That combined with a procession of diabolical social work managers—I only had one in all that—I only had one in all that time who was truly fabulous, and a partner who was both unable and unwilling to offer me the support I craved. I ended up homeless and fighting to live on de- on benefits. Being given one of the most judgmental mental health labels of borderline personality disorder, that comes free with the discriminatory judgments that, for, from some mental health professionals, will happily state that folk like me are manipulative, attention-seeking, and incurable. Where my psychiatrist at the time told me not to meet up with a support group of fellow BPDs because they were very sick people. So concerned was she about my welfare that she put me on the aforementioned quetiapine at a time when AstraZeneca were being sued through a class action in the States because the drug had links to type 2 fucking diabetes. I know I'm incredibly lucky. lucky. In Ella, I have the greatest wife in the world, bar none. I have some truly incredible friends, but for two full weeks I was lost in this mire of... Let's face it, self-pity, where I could see no future. My suicidal ideation and urges to self-harm returned in the most graphic and compelling ways with almost no respite. Fuck mindfulness. Fuck being in the moment. Why would you want to be in the moment when you're being held at gunpoint by a terrorist and that terrorist is you? Mindlessness is the way ahead. I remember the lovely Ella had bought me a Nintendo Switch a few years ago and I plugged myself into the Witcher 3 game to give myself a break. Still in pain, I decided that returning to swimming after 15 years might be an idea. I'm not swimming miles, but I'm getting there and I never use my legs anyway. I'm considering suing Speedo under the Trades Descriptions Act since I'm neither speedy nor do I have the endurance my Lycra Shorts claim. I spoke to my GP. She talked me through the deep vein thrombosis symptoms to ensure a blood clot wasn't about to leap from my leg into my heart and kill me to death. We explored the notion of peripheral neuropathy, essentially nerve pain brought on by diabetes and concluded I should speak with my diabetes nurse as scheduled the following week. In the meantime, I'd been to Tesco's and I'd found that using a shopping trolley allowed me to walk with less discomfort. However, stealing said walking aid would be considered theft. Just say no kids, and I think I'm already deemed sufficiently weird in these parts for wandering about the place in my kilt. Adding a shopping trolley to the ensemble might be, a, might be an actual and metaphorical step too far. So being the stubborn, stubborn type, I pulled out my old walking poles that had remained unused in all of my rambles around the edges of our beautiful country and set to work getting me back to back on the road. It still hurts like buggery at times but I've built up from 200 meters to 400 and now I'm walking four miles three times a week. Anyway back at the diabetes nurse I was indeed hailed as a conquering hero as I hobbled into her consulting room My blood sugar levels have gone from being, as I mentioned, diabetic as fuck, to being pre-diabetic. I'm officially in remission. My cholesterol levels and blood pressure are all within normal levels now. I'm a fucking medical marvel and all due to James O'Brien and some other podcast folk I'll be bigging up in later episodes. After some socially distanced high-fiving, Corinne, the diabetes nurse, hit me with a bit of a sucker punch. Yes, I was patient of the month. Yes, I was in remission. Yes, I'll need to talk to my GP about my Harry Potter fingers, but there was another thing lurking in the background. I have protein in my urine. My advice to you is never look up protein in your urine on the interweb. It involves things like kidney failure, cancer, death and the likes. I've currently got Schrodinger's kidney shit, as I'm putting off using my pot to piss in until next week. Since I'm an oversharing type, I'll tell you all about those results further down the line. I had hoped that this would have been a kind of happy and definitive conclusion to this particular chapter in my life, but hey-ho. So, this week I'll continue hobbling about the place with my poles. You won't believe how difficult I I found it to coordinate myself to use them properly goodness for the YouTube and swimming about as I build up the courage to send in my sample. That's it. You are now fully and officially up to date. Thanks so much for coming on this journey with me. It really means a lot. Thanks too to James O'Brien for curing my diabetes. Until the next time, I've been Chris Young and you've been rather fabulous. Walk a mile.